Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. The main thing that always happened with each episode was I got manic. You know, something didn't agree with me socially. I got very, very manic, couldn't sleep. My mind was race, and I blamed myself for things that I didn't do. You were just listening to Ruth Paniarski telling me about herself. She is a native of Long Island, New York, and has just released her first book, Journey of the Self, Memoir of an Artist. For years, Poniarski battled mental illness and has emerged today strong, full of positive determination and energy, and she's ready to share her story. It took me seven years to persevere and get my architecture degree. I stuck to it, even with all of my symptoms and my maladies. You'll hear my full interview with Ruth in a moment. What's amazing to me is that despite the battles with her demons, she persevered and succeeded in her chosen field, architecture, and is an accomplished artist. Poniarski considers her new memoir to be a portrait of sorts. This book, like many of my paintings, she says, is about introspection. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Well, it is just grand to be back. I'm your host, John Edenburn. Ruth Poniarski has released her coming-of-age memoir detailing her journey with mental illness and disability. I asked her to describe the book. It's a memoir and it's a book that is an account of uh, a mental disorder, um, and it was spurred on by a um, an ingestion of angel dust at a party that, that I unknowingly ate a brown. It was cooked in a brownie, and I unknowingly ingested it. And from then on, my life completely changed. I had periodic meltdowns, and the book describes them. And it's also a coming of age where I began to grow out of the uh, the episodes and I learned how to, to cope with the symptoms and develop uh, a good um, support system. The book just takes you through all of the meltdowns between 1977 and 1987 when they were the most and that's what the book relates to. It, and it's also a, uh, a personal uh, journey to find Mr. Wright. I had an intuitive quest to find um, a, a husband, a person who would be my companion and understand my situation and accept me and love me for who I am. And um, the book has a happy ending. I still cope with my illness, but I haven't had any episodes since 2010, which is way after the book ends. Well, thank God and, for that. Um, is there a warning in this book also because you consumed that angel dust? Is it a warning a wa to naive, vulnerable members of our population who may chance onto a situation where there's strange substances being handed around and they may innocently consume? There is a warning, and there's also a warning 
I had, before that angel dust, okay, I had a predisposition to my reaction, my severe reaction of that drug. In my sophomore year, about a year before, actually a year and a half before this happened, in my sophomore year of college in the fall, I had marijuana, and I smoked it heavily at one point where I blacked out. And then after I blacked out, I'm not going to do any drugs, marijuana, wine, nothing. I went cold turkey. However, the marijuana and and the many innocent people, and this is a warning, it made me paranoid, it made me lose ambition in my work, it made me less focused, I couldn't concentrate, my mind raced. So all before that ingestion of angel dust, that was going on. So the angel dust just tipped it all off, and that was it. Accelerated things. A wild imagination of psychosis and meltdowns. What is your view of the campaigns in our society today to legalize marijuana? Um, I don't agree with it. I don't think they should legalize it. Based on my experience, I don't think they should legalize it. I mean, you know, the person was on marijuana and they're driving a car, you know, and they go off. I mean, how do you measure the uh, incompetence of the individual? I don't recommend it at all. Maybe for medicinal purposes, like if somebody had extreme pain or cancer or things like that, yes, I think that could be um, suitable. But for leisure smoking, I don't advise it at all. No. You've seen the worst impacts of that. And then, of course, then we had angel dust. So let's yes. talk about your book. And we can come back to that. Your book goes into great detail about your struggles with mental illness and it's Mental Illness Awareness Month right now, May. Yes. So what is one thing you wish people understood about mental illness and disorders? First of all, there are many people who suffer different symptoms. Many people have extreme anxiety or extreme depression. Uh, it's very important to have a support system, somebody around that could, you know, detect what's going on. Uh, to reach out. There are things you could reach out. There are a lot of hotlines you could call. I just think that you should be able to address it. Like, you see you're going through a depression, so problem solve and say, what can I do to get out of this? And many people are in it and don't think to problem solve what they can do to get out of this until something, you know, bursts. Uh, well, there's Julie, certainly think, more awareness of mental illness today than a generation ago, would you say? Oh, absolutely there is. But it still doesn't, it doesn't matter in a way because if you're in the thick of it and you're in the fog and you don't realize that you should reach out or, you know, call somebody or call to get counseling or call a friend or your husband or your wife or your partner, Many people, you know, just are not consciously aware that they have to problem solve their way out of their depression or their symptoms or their cyclic malady. Because it's all, I think we're creatures of habit, and I really believe that there's spiraling and patterns that we go through during the year, and the seasons also affect us. So I think people should read about it, read intensely about it. And I think that's a way for problem solving and really to try to develop a support system, people around you, a friend, anybody that 
could care and understand what you're going through? Well, it's particularly apt to bring it up during this period of social distancing during the coronavirus pandemic. Has it become difficult for many people to reach out because of this isolation? Hotlines must be very busy. They must be very busy. And, um, you know, my husband, uh, coincidentally, is a psychiatrist. (laughs) And he's got a lot of patients. There are a lot of people calling, and he works in the clinic. And uh, there are a lot of people reaching. They're reaching out, you know, on phone. All phone. Everybody is phoning. And And zooming. Zooming and phoning. Yep. I think that, yes, I think it could become much worse now with isolation, especially if you're alone. I mean, if you're alone and there's not that other person you can, like, bounce off of, it could really be surmountable um, being alone. Uh, You could be depressed. You could be, you know, want to do away with your life, and there's nobody around. It's a very difficult situation right now. Um, Let's just talk about your book here, Journey of the Self, Memoir of an Artist. It's on paperback, available on Warner Publishing, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Now, in your book, you talk about how your life, you mentioned this earlier, how your life changed dramatically after a college friend offered you that brownie that you didn't know was laced with that angel dust, and this was the catalyst for a lot of issues you'd faced for the rest of your life, mental illness, psychosis, and an accident that left you with some permanent physical disabilities as well. So your book, um, as we've discussed, is a coming-of-age story told through all of these different lenses, mental illness, disability, determination, perseverance. What would you say to college kids today? Do you think this is an important book for young people to read? I I really do think so, because, you know, when they're in college, they try different drugs and drinking, and, you know, and sometimes they're not focused, and uh, it's a warning on that level. And also, you know, people who are studying um, psychology and uh, history and sociology and topics such as that, I mean, it's a very telltale kind of... um, situation where somebody goes through symptomatic cyclic maladies and it also brings the attention of never lose hope and persevere no matter what. It took me seven years to persevere and get my architecture degree. I stuck to it even with all of my symptoms and my maladies. It teaches perseverance. It teaches have a goal, do small realistic goals, live a day at a time, not 30 years down the road. And when you enter college, don't look at your last year and say, oh, my God, I have so much to do. Take a day at a time. Really relish a day at a time in your studies and set small goals, and you'll reach your bigger goal eventually. What do you attribute your perseverance to? You, you came through a very tough patch. Well, you know what? I, I'm, a perse- I'm very perseverant. I, I never, ever, ever give up. And all through that time, I wanted to succeed in architecture, which I did not really that much. And I wanted to succeed in finding Mr. Wright. And my whole, and I, I just kept going with that ambition. I had this driving ambition to keep going, even after I had my episode. Like an episode would last maybe three weeks. I would, after the episode, I would get right back on communicate with my friends, communicate with and do my schoolwork. It did take a toll on my schoolwork. I didn't 
really, I wasn't able to really set small goals for myself and be uh, practical. I was not a practical cat. And the symptoms and the cycles were getting worse and worse. And I didn't address them with any common sense. That's the other thing, common sense. Develop common sense. You can be a PhD and not have any common sense. That's a very important concept, common sense. Apply common sense to your life. So not be too airy-fairy, too pie-in-the-sky. Too pie-in-the-sky or problem-solving. You know, if a problem comes up, anything can come up if you, if you break up with your boyfriend. You know, I mean, it could be devastating to people. It's devastating. Uh, relationships can be devastating, which happened to me. But I somehow got through it. Then I went on my road to other prospects. And that, that hope, I had this continual hope that kept me going through all of these trying, malady, cyclic episodes. Can you maybe briefly describe some of those episodes? I know they must have been painful, but just so that we could get a, an idea. What happens with an episode, uh, typically, okay, a social environment tips me off. Okay, starting with the angel dust, I, after that, I, um, I imagined that there was a, a revolution going on and I was alone and I was going to be abandoned in the world. And I was driving my car and I, back and forth when I left the party and I walked 12 miles down the thruway and... I was looking for the brother of my boyfriend who didn't come back to college that year, and I, I lost sleep. The main thing that always happened with each episode was I got manic. You know, something didn't agree with me socially. I got very, very manic, couldn't sleep. My mind was race. I felt very guilty about my sexuality, and I blamed myself for things that I didn't do. I was very, very uh, punishing thoughts. And I could not sleep at all. I dreamt that I was going to be continually, every episode, I dreamt or imagined that I was going to be uh, abandoned on the earth and I was going to be the only one left. And that was my psychosis. And then, my, and then it would compound not being able to sleep and not being able to sleep for days. And that compounded each thing, compounded each other. And, uh, and a few times it led to dangerous episodes, life life-threatening, which I will not go into. Mm -hmm. I have to read the book. But that, those patterns, sleep deprivation, mania, self-punishing thought, imagining that I was a pariah and I was excluded from humanity and I had a very low self-esteem anyway to begin with. Sounds like you were very tough on yourself growing up. Very, very tough. I would take things personally. I would blame myself when I shouldn't have. Very, very hard conscience on myself. So that being coupled with uh, sleep deprivation, I mean, it, it just exploded enormously into episodes. Yeah, during the years 18, 1977 to 1987, I had episodes. You know, you, you'll read through the book, you know, every six months to a year, I would have an episode. But in between episodes, I led sort of a normal life. I pursued my architecture degree. I traveled. I worked. And... I, I, I did. I didn't sit still. I didn't, you know, power into a room and sit still. I went out there and I kept going and going. What role does nurture and nature play in mental illness? Is it something you're born with? Is it something you acquire? Is it a bit of both? Or is it all a mystery? 
think it's a combination of, uh, of, of genes and also of the environment. The environment that you're in can very well tip off what you may have a predisposition to. Like during my growing up, I had, uh, you know, a number of, I had a fair use. I had a number of things, though, that really uh, traumatized me and um, I, I, I didn't reach my, I had a lot of potential in art and painting and I just didn't, I, I evaded that for some reason and I should have, you know, really examined that in my earlier on and really taken up that career as a painter. Um, and I did not really have a passion and I was floating from things to things. That was the environment. And the environment also is my mother was not a real nurturer. My mother, you know, she, very talented woman, uh, but she devoted herself to being a housewife, which is okay and, those, and, and very uh, respectable, but she was not a role model for me. So I went out into this ambitious, male-dominated architecture field, and I did not have a role model. Um, I did not have a mentor or a role model, so I was kind of dealing blind in the blind, not knowing really the um, the nuances of being successful at that time in a male-dominated field. So environment has a lot to do with it, and one's nature and one's predisposition and one's self-predisposition can also contribute to mental illness. We hear a lot of talk today about mental illness. It's no longer the stigma it might have been generations ago, and that's a good thing. That's um, a very good thing. Do you think sometimes it's, it's exaggerated? Do you think sometimes people may confuse sadness, despair for mental illness? If it's unchecked, it could lead to a, a mental problem. It could become cyclic. I, I don't think it's overestimated. I think that, you know, people should... Um, really be aware and be sensitive to it because it can lead to worse situations and not be addressed. So maybe the overemphasis of it is okay mm-hmm. in a way. It's healthy. Um, yeah, it's air on the side of caution. Absolutely. As it were. I mean, I mean, you read about the celebrities and their problems. I mean, look at Kate Spade. She had a, uh, when she uh, had her mishap and she ended her life, you know, the social situation was, you know, I know she suffered from depression or bouts of whatever, and her husband separated from her. Now, that could really throw you through a very big loop. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. She so needed some intervention. She needed help. Predisposition. That's environmental and predisposition to your situation. But certainly we all need love, community, and the support of each other. I'm sure you got that, and you came out of this in a way that has made you so productive. You're now a painter. In what way yes, would you I, say your talent for visual arts affected the way in which you write? And how is writing a memoir different or similar to, say, painting a self-portrait? Okay, good question. Okay. First of all, my writing a memoir was all dealing with memory, all memory. And I, I, it, it was like, and each chapter... I designed each chapter to lead into the next chapter. And um, I also write fiction, okay? And fiction has more to do with my painting than a memoir. A memoir is, is reality. You're, you're, you're depicting a, a reality in time. 
Painting is imaginative. Uh, I imagine, I, I have a, uh, an imagination to uh, portray uh, paintings that are different, that lead to different avenues of interpretation. It could be funny, it could be sad. There are many elements and, in the paintings. As actually, though, my memoir has a lot of elements of that also. There's dark humor in my memoir, and there's also sad and serious, and my paintings reflect After a wee break, we'll pick up my interview with the author Ruth Poniarski, and there's a surprise. Why are 20 veterans a day taking their own lives? In this new gripping, brutally honest memoir, Iraq War veteran Tom Voss reveals the answer and an unexpected solution to the veteran suicide epidemic. Driven to the brink of suicide by the moral injury of war, Voss walked 2,700 miles across America in search of healing. What he found was something medication and talk therapy couldn't give him, relief from the guilt, shame, and sorrow that had been torturing him for years. A relief that came in the most unexpected form, meditation and sacred breathing techniques that shattered his understanding of war and himself. Dr. David Shulkin, Ninth Secretary of the VA, says where war ends will inspire countless others leaving them with a sense of purpose and hope. Brian Kinsella of Stop Soldier Suicide calls Where War Ends a captivating personal journey written with a compelling urgency. For veterans, their families, and anyone suffering from trauma, Where War Ends offers an antidote to the moral injury epidemic. Get your copy today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, IndieBound, or ask for it at your favorite library or independent bookstore. Before we get to the rest of my interview with Ruth Paniarski, author of the new Journey of the Self, memoir of an artist, take a listen to this fantastic Irish sound, and it has plenty to do with Mental Health Awareness Month in the US. Wow! We'll post the music and the video track on our YouTube channel, Life on Planet Earth. It shows Irish step dancers from various studios in the US who are assembled by the excellent performers, Fusion Fighters, and it is part of a campaign for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. The idea was conceived by two Irish step dancers who are raising money with a target of 15,000. Music track on this video is by Adon. One of the dancers, Sophia Rankin, explained to me that about a year ago, she learned that her close friend, Sean, had been struggling for years with severe depression and thoughts of ending his own life. 
Thus came the idea of Be The Voice programme to help end the stigma he faced. Now here's Ruth Poniarski, who survived mental illness and is now much stronger, as we talk about her extraordinary artistic creations. Oh yes, and they're not morbid. They're, no. they're you know, for what I went through, you would think I would do morbid paintings, but they're not morbid. So there's sort of a of, feeling uh, of redemption. There's humor in them, there's dream qualities, there's beautiful qualities uh, I, try to, I strive for. That's your co- own cover, the book cover. It's a portrait. My book cover, that's me. I'll explain. I'm holding the old baby. It's Journey of the Self. And there's a poem called Journey of the Self in the book. And that's, I'm holding my old, my old version of myself. We all carry around with ourselves our old selves. Everywhere we go, we have our old selves with us. And that painting symbolizes that, the Madonna holding an old baby, an old self, our old selves that we carry with us everywhere we go. Great. Now, you live in the New York area, so do you have any message for our mental health professionals? They're working in a very difficult uh, climate at the moment, but on a different level in terms of how things could be done better or how improvements might be made, or do you have any words of wisdom? Because you've been through this. Anything that should be done that's not been done? I really think that maybe the government and people uh, of leadership qualities, they should emphasize mental health, and they should also pay attention to sleep deprivation. Many people have that. Many, many people suffer from that. And I think that there should be more talking about these issues, you know, over the radio they could talk about it, um, on television they could talk more about it, you know, and, and just remind people of uh, the emergency phone call uh, system that, that has been set up in this country. I think there should be more discussion, absolutely. Do you think we have a mental health crisis on our hands in America and in the Western world? Yes, I do. I think people are isolated. Uh, a lot of families are isolated, like the grandparents live here and the kids live uh, three states over. And, and there's a lot of, uh, in, in, in terms of uh, relationships, there's a lot of alienation in this country. You know, I think that there should be more talk groups and seminars, and I think there should be more education in the schools about mental illness and how to address it and to be aware of it and to be very conscious of the pitfalls of taking care of yourself in college, in your younger years. There should be more out in the open. There should be more psychologists in schools, um, and it should be taught. It should be absolutely taught in school. It should be a whole thing, how to take care of yourself and, and mental health. It should be called mental health. Well, there's a sort of an irony in the era of social media, Facebook. Everybody is friending each other, liking each other, instant communications, mobile technologies, and yet there's never been as much social isolation. Yes, this the pandemic now, but even before the pandemic, people are isolated for so, some reason. So the journey of the self-memoir of an artist, it's 222 pages, riveting pages. Any last takeaways, Ruth, you hope readers gain from reading your book? I think they'll, they'll have more of a sense of self. They will be more aware and conscious of their um, mental health and members of their family. 
thing in the epilogue is live a day at a time. Don't live 10 years from now and don't live 10 years ago. Live a day at a time. Take things a day at a time. There's one thing I didn't mention, and I think people should keep journals. When they're having problems, keep journals every day. Write down your uh, experiences so that you can look at yourself, disengage from yourself, and look at yourself from a distance. Like right now when we're in the pandemic, we are looking at the environment from a distance. We are having introspection and reflection, and we should continually do that and take notes. Because your book, in many levels, is a coming-of-age journey that deals a lot with introspection. Yes, it does. It, I mean, each time I came out of an episode, there would be more realization of what I was going through until it reached a tipping point. And then it became less episodes. But I never lost hope. And that's the other thing. Persevere and never lose hope. Do not give up on your journey. Do not give up. There are always answers to problems. Ruth, this has been a very uplifting story. Good luck with sales on the book. You're thank in a you much so better much. place. Same here. Thank you so much for your interest. And thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.